home. Amen. Amen. I want you to turn your Bibles on this beautiful Easter morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And let's stand for the reading of God's Word beginning at verse 13. So let's stand out of respect and honor of God's Word. Luke chapter 24, Luke's Gospel chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. At that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they had not found his body, they came back saying that he, ha- he, 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 he was even seen by a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But, he, but they urged him strongly saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and he was at the and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, "Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures?" And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. May God bless the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious Easter morning. We thank you so much that we here come to worship a risen Savior. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just bless the 
the, the reading, uh, the understanding, the preaching of your word. Lord, may we live, leave here different because we came and we submitted ourselves to your truth, your word. Lord, I just pray that you'll do your work in our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, happy Easter or better, happy Resurrection Sunday. You know, in the early church on Easter Sunday, the pastor would lead the congregation in celebration by raising his voice and saying, Christ is risen. And the congregation would respond, He is risen indeed. So let's do that this morning, okay? Okay, I'm going to say, Christ is risen, and you respond by saying, He has risen indeed, okay? Let's stand together and do that, okay? Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Indeed He has. You may be seated. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a message of hope for a world that desperately needs hope. Desperately needs hope. Let me ask you, do you need hope on this Easter morning? Do you need hope? Well, Jesus is the place to go. (laughs) Jesus is the place to go. That's what this message is really all about. Jesus is the place to go for hope. I don't know what you're going through in your life. You might be smiling on the outside, but you could be crying on the inside. But I do know this, and I say this on the authority of God's Word, Jesus is alive, and if you have Jesus, you have hope because He lives in you. I love what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Notice, Christ in you, the risen, resurrected Christ lives in your life and in my life. And that's something to rejoice about. Late Friday afternoon on April the 3rd, A.D. 33, outside the walls of Jerusalem at a place called Golgotha, Jesus cried out with a loud voice from the cross, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he died. He wasn't finished, but his work of salvation was. Slowly, all his disciples who had followed him for over three years, sadly, walked off the world's stage. Two followers of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who were both Pharisees, they took down the body of Jesus from the cross, quickly prepared it for burial, and laid it in a a new tomb. On the third day, at the break of dawn, some of the women went to the tomb and found it empty, but the resurrection was far, far from their minds. All the disciples were in deep despair, hiding in fear for their lives. And then later that same resurrection morning, two of the disciples, not a part of the apostolic band, but two of the disciples were on the road to a village named Emmaus, just a short distance to Jerusalem. One of them was named Cleopas. 
Many believe that Cleopas was Jesus' uncle, the brother of his stepfather, Joseph. And the other disciple most likely was his wife. We cannot be sure of that, but it's certainly plausible. Both Uncle Cleopas and Aunt Mary were overcome with grief as they made that sad journey back to their hometown in Emmaus. They were devastated, devastated. They were discouraged. They were defeated. They were depressed. Jesus was dead. At least, that's what they thought. They had believed with all their hearts that Jesus was the Messiah, Israel's Redeemer. But now all their hopes and all their dreams were shattered as they saw him condemned, crucified, dead, and buried. And now they were going back home to try to pick up the broken pieces of their lives. Suddenly, suddenly out of nowhere, another traveler joins them on their journey, and it was Jesus, although they did not recognize him. Our text tells us that Jesus went with them. Jesus went with them. You know, that's a beautiful thought, isn't it? Jesus went with them. You know, as believers, as believers, Jesus goes with us too. But like these disciples, so often we don't recognize or we aren't aware of his presence. Jesus is with us in our joys. He is with us in our sorrows. He is with us in our victories. He's with us in our failures. He is with us on the mountaintop. He is with us also in the deep, dark valley. He goes with us, whether we are aware of his presence or not. God never intended us to travel down life's road alone. He's our good shepherd. He always travels with us. There is not a time he is not with us. He tells us, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let, let me just share a couple of things about these two disciples that are so much like people today. Number one, they had sad hearts. They had sad hearts. Look, look at just two verses, verses 15 and verse 17. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking. I love what it, they stood still. They, they, they were shocked by, by, by all of this. They were sad. They were sad and Jesus saw it. Let me ask you, are you, are you sad this Easter morning? Are you, are you discouraged? Well, Jesus knows all about it. He knows all about it. He knows exactly what you and I are going through at this very moment. They were sad. Why were they sad? They were sad because their faith was shaken. They had lost all hope. And my friend, it doesn't get any worse than when you lose all hope. I think some of the saddest words in Scripture where it says in Ephesians, without hope, without God in the world. Those are, those are sad, sad words. Well, these disciples, they had, they had lost all hope. 
When Jesus asked them why they were sad, Cleopas was shocked by Jesus' question. And, and again, he, he just stopped. <laughs> and they were walking. He just stopped. And, and this is what he said in verse 18. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Well, from the text, it's obvious why they were sad. (laughs) They had believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. They had believed that this one who entered Jerusalem on a, on a little donkey on Palm Sunday was going to redeem Israel. They believed that. They had believed that Jesus of Nazareth was going to drive out the Romans and establish a great Messianic Jewish kingdom. They believed that with all their hearts. But it just didn't happen. <laughs> Instead of driving the Romans out, The Romans drove Jesus out of Jerusalem and did what? They nailed him to a cross. Yes, they were disappointed and sad and discouraged because God did not do what they wanted him to do. Do you ever get discouraged and disappointed because God doesn't do what you want him to do? Because he doesn't follow your plans. Because he doesn't work according to your timetable. Because his will doesn't coincide with your will. Because your prayers are not answered like you would want them to be answered. They were sad. And Cleopas, he continues in verse 21, he says... But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning when they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They were sad, they were discouraged, they were depressed, but they had no reason to be sad. No reason at all. Again, they had heard the good news. (laughs) They had heard the good news about the empty tomb, they had heard the good news about the women who went to the tomb and saw that the body was gone and also some of the disciples, they heard the good news that the angels announced that Jesus was alive. They heard the good news. But they turned the good news into bad news by ignoring the clear evidence of the resurrection and surmising that someone had stolen the body of Jesus. See, the proof of the resurrection was very clear. It was as plain as the nose on their faces. The empty tomb, the missing body, 
the eyewitnesses that witnessed it all. The angels announcing that Jesus was alive. What more evidence could you possibly want? But they still did not believe. I want you to listen to Cleopas' words again about Jesus in verse 19. He says that he was a man who was a prophet. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Do you see the past tense? He was a prophet. Don't you see um, these disciples? Jesus was just a has-been. Just a has-been. Yes, they loved him. They, they still loved him. But in light of his crucifixion and his death, he was now just a beloved fallen religious leader who was gone forever. That's who Jesus was to them at this particular moment. Just a has-been. Let me ask you, who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus just a religious figure that, that you have, you know, believed about since you were young, maybe in Sunday school or in church? Just a religious figure, or is he the living, present reality in your life? Who is Jesus to you? Not just somebody you know about, but someone you know personally. And there's a big difference, my friend, to know about Jesus than to know him personally, to have a personal relationship with him. Do you know this Jesus? You know. Can you say with Job of all, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. Yes, they were sad. But they also had cold hearts. They had cold hearts. As they walked along the road, Jesus takes front and center. Before, he was doing most of the listening. But, but now he's going to do most of the talking. And, and he starts off with a gentle rebuke by pointing out the source of their problem. He says in verse 25, uh, he says, Oh, foolish ones. Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Well, see, their problem was not head knowledge. But the problem was in their heart. Their problem was in their heart. It's not that they did not believe the prophets. I mean, these men were Old Testament Jews. They believed the prophets, but they did not believe all that the prophets had spoken about Jesus. They didn't believe all that the prophets had spoken about Jesus. And so they embraced what the prophets said about the Messiah's glory and his kingdom, that, that he's going to set up a wonderful kingdom on this earth. I mean, they embraced that. They just didn't want to hear anything about his suffering and his death. They didn't care about that at all. 
They saw the glory of the Messiah, but they did not see the suffering that he must endure. They saw the crown, but they didn't see the cross. Jesus says to them, haven't you read your Bible recently? That's basically what he's saying. He's saying the prophets, they predicted everything that happened to Jesus in Jerusalem. To the T, everything. They predicted it all. These disciples, they had cold hearts because they didn't believe all, all that the prophets had spoken. What they needed was the fire of God to warm them up. That's what they needed, the fire of God to warm them up. God says in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord? I'll say, God's word will set your heart on fire. And that's what Jesus does for them. That's what Jesus does for them on this journey. He sets their hearts on fire with the word of God. By doing what? By opening up the scriptures for them. So that they could see everything that the scriptures said about him. Oh, I would have loved to have been there. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? To be a fly on Cleopas' shoulder. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there to hear the living word of God? That's Jesus. To hear the living Word of God preach the written Word of God. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? In verse 27 it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the Scriptures, the entire Old Testament, the things concerning himself. My friend, the Bible is all about Jesus. This book is all about Jesus. The Old Testament points forward to Jesus. The New Testament points back to Jesus. That's why we're studying the Gospel Project in Sunday school. It's not because it's just the new thing and it's something that the pastor thought, well, this is something new, we ought to do it. No. We're studying it because... The Bible is not just a series of Bible stories. No, see, the Bible is one grand narrative. It's one book. It, it's God's story that points to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No, see, Jesus is the theme of this book from cover to cover. I've shared this with you before, so be patient. In Genesis, he is the promised seed. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is the great high priest. In Numbers, he is the water out of the rock. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet greater than Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord's host. In, in Judges, he's the deliverer. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In Samuel, Kings and Chronicles, he's the king of kings. In Ezra, he is the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the gate into the heavenly city. In Esther, he is the one who has come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In Job, he is the redeemer who will stand on the latter day on earth. In Psalms, he is the 
good shepherd. In Proverbs, he is the wisdom of God. In Ecclesiastes, he's the creator to remember in the days of your youth. In the Song of Solomon, he's the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. In Isaiah, he's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the potter who puts our broken lives together. In Lamentation, he is the one whose compassions are new every morning. In Ezekiel, he's the son of man. In Daniel, he's the son of God, the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, he's the son called out of Egypt. In Joel, he's the one who will pour out his spirit on all flesh. In Amos, he is the restored tabernacle of David. In Obadiah, he's the Savior. In Jonah, he's the one three days and nights in the earth. In Micah, he's the ruler called out of Bethlehem. In Zephaniah, he's the one who will rest in his love. In Haggai, he's the stronghold in the day of trouble. In Zechariah, he's the one whose feet shall stand that day on the Mount of Olives. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness who will come with healing in his wings. Amen. You see, the Bible is all about Jesus. My friend, if you, if you miss that, you miss the message of the Bible. <laughs> if you don't see Jesus in the Old Testament, you missed, you missed everything. So that's why we're studying the Gospel Project. And you ought to be proud of it. Now back to the story. So Jesus takes these two disciples on another journey. A journey through the scriptures. And he shows them how they all point to him. Now, it's no way possible that Jesus covered everything. I mean, they'd have never gotten to Ephesus, uh, to Emmaus. They'd have never gotten there. But I'm sure he pointed out the big prophecies, those great prophecies. And I'm sure he most likely started with that very first prophecy in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where it says that Satan will bruise Christ's heel, but Christ shall crush his head. I'm sure he turned to passages like Genesis 22, where Abram offers his beloved son on the altar, a beautiful picture of the father sacrificing his beloved one and only son on the cross. Surely he spoke of the Passover lamb that pictures Jesus shedding his blood so that God would pass over and not judge us. And then all the Levitical sacrifices, which all pointed to Jesus, the one and only sacrifice for sin. Oh, I'm sure that, that he spent much time in In Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced with our transgressions for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And, And I'm sure he went to to Psalm 22, that great prophecy of the cross, beginning with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
I'm telling you what an experience these these two disciples had to hear the greatest preacher of all times expound the scriptures about himself. Well, the more Jesus taught, the more excited these disciples became. Their hearts had grown cold because they hadn't believed all that the prophets had spoken, but now, but now their hearts were on fire because they had seen from the scriptures itself that what had happened to Jesus was predicted long, long before. It was all God's plan. My friend, I hope you understand on this Easter morning that the cross was no accident. It was no twist of fate. It was no human tragedy. You see, the suffering and the death of Jesus was all a part of God's plan for man's redemption. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, God now can reach out in grace and save sinners. And my friend, if you're here today without Christ, the message of Easter is this. Now God can save you because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, finally, they they got to Emmaus. Jesus pretended like he was going on, but they urged him. Really, that's a strong word. It means they begged him. They begged and pleaded with him to stay with him, and Jesus did. Another little lesson here. Another little lesson. Jesus will not force himself on you. He won't. If you invite him into your life, if you invite him into your home, if you invite him into your workplace, yes, if you invite him into your church, he will come in. And he will be a part of us. I love what Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Could Jesus be knocking at the door of your heart right now? Asking for that invitation to come in and to be your Savior, to be your Lord, to be your Redeemer? I promise you this, the latch is on the inside. You've got to open it. And if you open it, he'll come in. Well, a meal was prepared. They sat down, and something wonderful happened. Look at verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Jesus did something very Familiar, I'm sure, even to these two disciples. He took the bread. He blessed it, said a prayer. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to them. And their eyes were open. And they recognized him. What caused them to recognize him? 
Was it the breaking of the bread? Was it in the breaking of the bread that they saw his nail-pierced hands? It could be. I believe that might have been it. But whatever it was, they recognized Jesus. (laughs) They thought he was dead, but now they know Jesus is alive. Just like that, Jesus was gone. But their hearts were on fire. Their hearts were on fire. I love what they say in verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? They they had cold hearts at one time, but now their hearts were on fire. So that's what happens when the Bible comes to life in your life, when it comes alive in your heart. That's what happened. When you pick out on food, you get heartburn. I know. It happens. But you get holy heartburn when you stuff yourself with God's Word. And that's a good thing. That's what these disciples came down with. (laughs) That holy heartburn. (laughs) They were on fire for Jesus. Jesus was alive. And guess what? They could not contain themselves. They could not keep from telling others about it. Immediately they departed for Jerusalem. Traveling at night at that part of the world was very dangerous. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? (laughs) Thieves and Robbers and murderers were everywhere. But danger could not stop them from going to share the good news. You know, I I can't help but think of our missionaries. Many, many of our missionaries are, are places we cannot even name the country where they are. It is so dangerous. In dangerous places. But that did not keep them from obeying God's command to go. And to share the good news of Jesus. Oh, they couldn't keep it to themselves. See, you can't keep the good news to yourself when it is burning in your heart. (laughs) When the gospel is burning in your heart, you cannot keep it to yourself. Verse 33, and they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told, notice that, then they told their story. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Are you willing to tell your story? It's your story too. What a difference it would make in our churches if every member was on fire for Jesus. What a difference it would make. 
when we when we gathered together, we just couldn't wait to share what Jesus is doing in our lives. And, and when we go to our workplace or with our neighbors and our friends, we can't wait to just share what Jesus has done. That He's alive, that He's still, He's still at work. I tell you what would happen here. We would feel we would fulfill our vision. It wouldn't just be a, a, a plaque on the wall. It would be a part of our daily life. See, we would go outside the walls of this church and reach our community for Christ and make disciples one person at a time. We have good news to share. Good news to share. My friend, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, and by that I mean you don't have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we've been talking about, not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing Him personally. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, you can start on that journey today by embracing the gospel, by embracing the good news. You say, well, Pastor, how? By believing with all your heart that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin, to realize that you are a sinner deserving of eternal hell and believing that Jesus took that hell for you on the cross. To believe with all of your heart that He rose again from the dead. And don't miss this part to trust Him and Him alone to give you the free gift of eternal life. To trust Jesus and Him alone. Not Jesus and my goodness. Not Jesus and my baptism. Not Jesus and my, and my church attendance. Not Jesus and my, the good things I do. No, Jesus alone for your salvation. See, when you trust Jesus as your Savior, you become a part of the story. You become a part of God's story of salvation. Planned before the world ever began. Hmm. On this Easter Sunday, we can say, praise God, we have a risen Savior. Praise God, we have a risen Savior. You know, let's end this service like we began it. Stand to your feet. And say it like you mean it. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Amen. Remain standing. Because we're going to sing. Beginning today, we're going to continue with our public invitation. If God has spoken to you, if there is a commitment that you need to make this morning to the Lord, I'll be down here to pray with you, to do anything. Maybe you would just like to just kneel here at, at, this, at this altar place and just pray and cry out to God, whatever your need might be. As we sing together, you make the commitment that he would have you to make. God bless.